I was a kid, I laid awake at night and heard the sounds of trains. There's a lot of things I didn't understand. A lot of things I'd do different if I could. I don't want to be criticized. Nobody takes me serious here. Like you? Who in the hell says I gotta like let go of this? How can I let go of this? It's who I am. It's all I know. I wish they froze me in a block of ice till it was my time when I was ready to make my move. Before I started doing this acting stuff, I was afraid to get up in front of me. I didn't go to the moon. I went much further. Right now, what kind of theater does this country need? How about a theater with black and brown actors who had been convicted of serious crimes and had spent years in prison? Actors who want a chance in a society that has no time for them. Actors who ache for change. You know, that kind of a theater. For the last decade, Richard Holder has taught acting at Otisville State Prison and has formed a company of formerly incarcerated men studying the art of acting at HB Studio. Prison Monologues is a podcast that reveals the actor and his story. I didn't go to the moon. I went much further. I was born Jason Scott Sabater, August 24th, 1981, to a drug-addicted mother. As far as I know, I'm the second oldest of at least nine children, many of us each having different fathers. I didn't grow up learning much about my parents other than what I was told by strangers, foster parents, or caseworkers. I was separated from my mother at a very young age and placed in the foster care system after biological family couldn't take care of me. I was placed in a few homes until finally arriving with the family whose name I now have, Morales. Jason, thank you so much for joining us here on Prison Monologues. Rich and, I, Rich and I have been uh, looking forward to this conversation for a while. Very impressed with your, um, with your performances that I've seen. And again, they seem to all come from your car because I guess you get good sound in there. Um, yeah. And hey, Rich, how you doing? I'm good. I'm good. Great. We always start these programs with our actors doing uh, a monologue. And so, yes. uh, Jason, what do you have for us? This, uh, so this is, uh, this is uh, uh, Tom from Glass Menagerie. This is a uh, monologue that's very well known, but uh, very well done by this young man. I, right, I've heard ahead. it, and I, it's, it's terrific. I'm really looking forward to it. I didn't go to the moon. I went much further. For time is the longest distance between places. Not long after that, I was fired for writing a poem on the lid of a shoebox. I left St. Louis, descended a step to this fire escape for one last time, and followed from then on in my father's footsteps, attempting to find emotion that was lost in space. I traveled around a great deal. Swept by me like dead leaves, brightly colored leaves, but torn from the branches. I would have stopped, but I was pursued by something. It always came upon me unawares, catching me altogether by surprise. Perhaps it was only a piece of 
transparent glass. Perhaps I'm walking along the street at night in some strange city. Before I found a companion, I passed the lighted window of a shop where perfume is sold. The shelves are filled with brightly colored glass, tiny transparent bottles and delicate colors, like a shattered rainbow. And all at once, my sister touches my shoulder. I turn around and look into her eyes. Oh, Laura. Laura, I tried so hard to leave you behind me. And I'm more faithful than I intended to be. I reach for a cigarette. I cross the street. I've been into the nearest movies, a bar, buy a drink, anything. I'd blow your candles out. Nowadays, the world is lit by lightning. Blow out your candles, Laura. And so, goodbye. That was even better than the first time I heard it. <laughs> Thank you. I find your timing is magnificent. Um, you're taking, appreciate that. You're taking time with, um, with the thoughts and letting them just happen as they happen. Rich, what did you think about that? It's, it's always good because the thing that we talk about in acting out all the time is that whenever you do something, that you do it for the first time every time. You don't try to repeat what you did in the past. And so it was great because it was new. You know, that's why when you said it was better than the first time, it's because it was fresh again. It was new. Again. Yeah. You know yeah. what I mean? You can't, you can't, you know, so, so bravo, uh, Mr. Morales, bravo. That's all yes. I have to say. Yeah, yeah. Um, I, I think it's just a shame that we have to do it this way. Um the sound is uh, the zoom sound is so awful, um, but yet we have to we have to communicate through theater in, in in this fashion now while we're 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 hunkered down with this with COVID. That's right. But despite even despite that limitation, I could feel it coming through my my headset. I mean, I it it was it was palpable. It was there, and I I thank you, Jason, for um, for sharing that with us. Definitely, thank you. Right. You had shared with us in some detail part of your life history. I, I've gone through it and I've, um, you know, I've, I've, I've took some notes from it. And I wonder if we could form this um, conversation around that, that narrative that you had given to Rich. And, sure. Um, which we started this program with. In fact, I started the program with a quote from that audio file that you created that kind of summarized um uh, some of your life this is not this is not your entire life jason this is this is part of your life um that was significant informing you where you are today your uh your life started in a foster home because you didn't uh know your your That's biological correct. parents yeah i wanted to start by asking you did you ever want to find out who your bi biological parents were yes that was always uh as a kid that was the the goal growing up i heard a lot you know once you're 18 you can start making your own decisions if you want to go out there and find your family seek them out then by all means go ahead i was able to realize it and make it happen it wasn't as much it wasn't what i thought it would be it was it was definitely a letdown but um it was an eye-opener. It was definitely an eye-opener. 
it sounds like there's a lot to that um that oh yeah <laughs> to that yeah, a lot of a lot of demons weren't let go that uh for the reasons that that we were separated was uh the state took over took uh matter of fact all most most except for the, her last children away from her found her unfit as a mother so that's what started the journey into the foster care it ended with me getting adopted by the family who's like i said earlier uh name i bear now morales right 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 and uh i did i did uh meet her 2012 when i came home i was uh 33 and uh, all i really knew about my mother was that she she looked just like me that's all that anybody really said about her that wasn't involving her history when I finally saw her, that was that was the most striking thing. Like we looked so much alike. Yeah, she just couldn't leave uh, her past demons behind, and and her hopes were on a were on somebody that already lost the battle with drugs and and a bright future who committed himself to crime and and, and drugs. And that that's your father? No, no, no. I I know nothing at all about my father whatsoever. That, is that something that bothers you? Is it no? To it? Yeah, and that and that's something that 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 came across before talking to friends. They were like, "Do you hold any resentment towards the dad that was supposed to be there?" And I, I'm, I'm like, "No, I'm like, that's like seeing somebody, you know, a stranger, and and just disliking them out of." I'm like, "There's nothing. There's nothing. There's no emotional attachment for anger to cling to." You grew up in a foster home, and Several. you write that it was a very structured home. Yes. Could you talk yeah. a little bit about that, that home that you were brought up in? And you, you were there with your brothers. Yes, a uh, few of my brothers. Uh, my older brother, specifically Tito, mm-hmm. and uh, Anthony, which is the, where the name Santo come from, comes from. Santo is uh, a short version of Santito which is my older brother, Tito, and Anthony with my S middle name, too. So it's a bringing together of those names. Yeah. Yeah. What is that tradition? Because I know in the uh, in, um, um, Dominican Republic, it seems to, that bringing together of names is important. Do you know where that came from? I, I don't have much about it, but for me, it was I found comfort. The way I saw it, it was like my brother's... My, my brothers still have my back. I was going through whatever I was going through, dealing with prison and, and not being with them. That was my way of saying, you know, my brothers still had my back. Like yeah. they're, they're still protecting me. They were, they were within your name and your name was within their name. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. You loved school, you write, or you used to talk. Oh, yeah. That was my escape because the family was so, so serious. There really wasn't merry times. So where I had my fun, where I was able to be myself was at school. <laughs> and that, uh, that got me more into more trouble than not because I developed the uh, class clown mentality. Oh boy. And it's, you know, seeking that, 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 that person's laughter at any cost, at, you know, at the expense of everybody else learning. So that kind of set me apart. And in school, it literally set me apart into that. They said I couldn't function outside of a more structured environment. And so they suggested special education. 
it wasn't due to any learning disabilities because uh, everyone, everyone expressed that I was a bright child, according to them, that I was a bright child, but uh, I was strangely labeled as uh, emotional dis- emotionally disturbed, which is something you really can't wrap your head around when you're, you know, you're Not, hearing that as, as a child. Yeah, but it means something to you as a child. I mean, you're taking, you're taking it in some way. And it's not good. Um, it's the way I took it was like the doctor saying, yeah, he, he's got a measles shot. Uh, it was something that it was out of my control. Nothing I could do about it. We just go on from there. It wasn't anything that I felt had to be an obstacle that needed to, 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 to be surmounted or anything. Right. Uh, it wasn't until way later, probably in my late 20s. Where I actually contemplated, like, damn, why, why, why do you call a child emotionally disturbed? Exactly, <laughs> exactly, exactly. From there, things didn't head too great. Uh, special ed found a way to, uh, through special ed, you're, 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 I guess, mandated to receive some type of therapy, and from therapy, it evolved into psychiatry, where they wanted to involve medication, and this is where. This is a time where a lot of doctors were pushing out Ritalin for hyperactive kids. I know, I know the period. My daughter was on Ritalin. Oh yeah, yeah. And um, I really, I really don't blame anybody for it. I know I hated the feeling of, of of being on the meds because it made it made me less me. It felt like I was, <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I was acting outside of myself, doing what I was supposed to be doing. You don't do any of that now. I mean, you don't need any of those kinds of drugs at this Medicine, point. Medicine, no. Yeah. No. Yeah. At some point, you and your brother started, got into trouble. Can, can you talk about that, how that came about? And did, did, it, did it relate to the problems you're having in school or the structured home? Which, my older brother? Yeah, Tito. Tito. Tito, Tito was the uh, main one getting in trouble because he, he had a problem with stealing. And it was a problem I developed as well. It was, uh, we were told no a lot as children. And I guess I see now, you know, as a parent now, I, I kind of see the value of, of a no. But those no's didn't stop us. If we saw an opportunity where we could take something that we wanted and get away with it, it's what we did. Yeah. So we lifted a lot of stuff <laughs> wow. as kids. And, he, he, he started at home, which made it kind of worse because you're taking money from the parents and they're, you know, they're always going to find out. So they couldn't, they couldn't deal with him. And so the lady who was taking care of me, she had recently gotten married and it was the suggestion of her, her recent husband that he go back to the foster agency right? because they were running out of uh, options and, and ideas on how to deal with us but he was he was he was the troublesome one according to them and so yeah it hurt it hurt me a lot because one we were always together and that was uh, another thing about this family they they try to keep whenever they heard another family member another sibling of mine was born they were trying to keep us all together so they told the agency listen if it's if it's doable any brothers and sisters that come on here after, this is where, like in '87, my baby, my well, he was the baby at the time, Anthony. They brought him straight over to the house. So my brother Anthony, no, 
he knew no other family but the family that we were in, which is amazing because he's like this little dark skinned kid. He looks, everybody confuses him for Dominican, but you see me and him together and they're like, wait a minute, you guys are night and day. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, that's my brother. <laughs> At some point you uh, told us that you ran away. Did you run away because it was just getting too st- structured or was there something yeah. else? You know? the, the older I got, I felt the less freedom that I had, especially, you know, the teenage years where you're riding your bikes, you want to be out there with your friends and it's like chores took precedence, cleaning the house took precedence, chores that it weren't even my chores became precedence. And it's like, you guys just don't want me to be happy. You know what? I'm going to go look for it. <laughs> yeah. You told us also that you got into to, to abuse, substance abuse. Can you talk about that? And maybe sure. how did that happen? It was, I didn't, I didn't hit anything hard until after, after my first imprisonment. And it, at that point it was like trying to find something to just numb me. Just crazy because as a kid, like I said, I didn't, I didn't want to feel that numbing, that zombie like, but then you, you're experiencing so much completely, you know, your whole world's getting thrown for a loop. You're going from this cared for world into this animalistic thing where everybody's fighting just to freaking get ahead. Uh, before we talk about your, your prison experience, mm-hmm. uh, which was a, a big part of your early life, uh, at some point, even though your grades were quite good in school, you quit. Mm-hmm. You left school. And then I guess you, that's when you got into more crime? Yeah. Uh, and it wasn't... It, it was... There was a decision uh, for me. I said, you know what? It would be better off for me to just take a test. I, I... Hey, a quick note here. Jason did not want to return to his stepmother's home, and he feared being picked up if he went to his high school. So he took the GED test, and that way he didn't have to return to school. I felt that just taking the GED would alleviate me from going to school only because I'd get caught. I I was running away so much at one point that if I went to school, they'll pick me up and bring me back home. And I'm not trying to go back home. Inevitably, what pulled me from school? I couldn't attend it anymore because then they'll drag me back home and I didn't want to deal with it. You must have missed it, though. I mean, it sounded like you enjoyed it. I did. I did. And I had no choice but to do it once getting locked back up. Yeah. Which was shortly after. There wasn't much time between me quitting school and getting locked back up. There was literally between weeks and months in that time. Wow. Between the quitting of the school and you getting in yeah, trouble. Yeah, because with I was out, out in the streets. I made myself not available, but I was right for the picking. I was out there on the streets, you know? Yep. You talked about being picked up for truancy at some point, and then the police accused you of a crime that you had yeah. not done. You had done crime, but not this particular one. Yeah. And I was um, taken by the fact that your foster parents, your stepfather and mother, were there. What What did that feel like? You were, what, 17, 18? 16. 16, 16. okay. And your, and your foster parents are there, and they're saying, yeah. you know, how it happened was uh, they picked me up at, at my girlfriend's school, which was not my school. So that was the reason why truancy picked me up. I was in a school that I, I didn't belong in. 
so truancy holds me. They find out that there's a pins warrant out on me. A pins warrant. I don't know if they still do it, but at that time, it was uh, for runaways. Uh, the parents would speak to the uh, officers. Listen, this is what he looks like. If you see him out there, he's been missing. We're looking for him. You're you're allowed to hold him until we can come and pick him up because he's a runaway. So that's why I I that's what I understood that I was being held for mm-hmm. while in holding. They start questioning me about crime. And I'm telling them, I don't know what you're talking about. I, you know, I don't have a clue. No, nothing, nothing. Um, and then the questions start getting specific to a specific crime. In the beginning, it was about crimes in the neighborhood. Do you know anything? No, 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 no. Then it was like, okay, where were you at this time? And, okay, I don't know, but I don't know what you're talking about. So my when my parents finally, which is completely illegal, by the way, <laughs> for, for them to my ask parents, you those questions, yeah, or if, yeah any questions Jason, relating to Jason, hey, related to anything Jason. that, um, sorry. Well, yeah, by the way, we're, we're, we're in, uh, uh J, um, Jason's car talking to him and there's, so the people are passing by. Yeah. Sorry about that. That's right. And, um, when my parents get there, the cops start to turn the, not the questions, but their their information to them they start telling my parents that they had fingerprints that they know that i was involved in a crime but that i I just refused to be forthright with it they're like we have his fingerprints we just need him to say it so my dad with his logic (laughs) uh says listen if they got your fingerprints there's, there's there's no way around it They've got you. Let them know, and we'll move on from there. So I start thinking back. I'm, I'm looking at all the bad that I did, all the uh, houses that I was breaking into while I was on the streets looking for clothes to wear, so uh, electronics to steal, video games, things of that nature. And I'm thinking back, and I remember one time I, I entered a home, and I touched a kitchen chair. I was like, maybe it was that time. So I I offered him that. I'm like, you know, will that get me out of this situation if I, <laughs> yeah. you know? And they're like, all right. So next thing you know, the, the questioning gets a bit more serious in, in that they're Im- implicating that people were assaulted, that um, they were tied up, beaten. And I'm like, nah, I'm not, you know, I'm not going to let you put that on me. Like, no, like. And they came out with another tactic and said, well, there was one perpetrator that supposedly had uh, offered water after after they had assaulted the victims. They offered uh, them water to drink. Are you thirsty? And my mom, my foster mom, well, adopted mom at that time. She's like, well, Jason's a good kid. Like, that's something he would do. Like, well, he, he, he. Well. And I'm like. Oh, geez, like, no, like. She was giving testimony against you. Yeah, no, she was, she was suggesting that it would, it, it was a sweet thing that I would offer somebody water in a time where they're getting beat up on. Assaulted, yeah. And I'm like, you're not understanding the full situation. Yeah. Like, yeah. they're still talking about a crime. Not that I happened upon a crime 
and saw some people hurt and offered them some, some type of healing. And it wasn't until after serving and, and pleading guilty, pleading guilty to that crime. Uh, I came home after serving. I was sentenced to two and a half to five for burglary in the second degree. And when I came home, my mom, who was going to back and forth to court to uh, get updates about me, she had a stack of paperwork belonging to the DA's office, which were copies that were supposed to be made to share amongst both sides of the of the, uh, the prosecutor of the lawyers. And the yes, the prosecutor and the defense. She winded up with that paperwork, and it was literally there was literally the the, the police report describing the perpetrators of that particular crime again and just blew my mind away the crime happened 19 uh february i got locked up february 1998 the crime happened october 1997 i was also in a hospital a psychiatric hospital at that time wow and um Jeez. I had medical documentation proving that I was in, I was somewhere else. I was literally committed to a psych ward in Brooklyn during the time of that crime. And that all three of the perpetrators were six feet tall, all of them black. And this happened in 1997. I was, I was a short kid, four feet 11 in 1997, 1998. When I got picked up by the police, I was only five foot four inches, nowhere near six feet. And of course, my complexion nowhere near resembles that of a black man. Yeah. And so I ate that. I ate that time. I did it. Came four, back home. Four years from 16 to 20. From 16 to 20. So that was from 1998 to 2001, 2002. Right. There's another step to this, and it sounds like it got even worse. But <laughs> I, I wonder what your thoughts are, and I'm sure you've thought about this. Isn't there a better way of dealing with a 16-year-old who's having, you know, um, problems emotionally? Uh, is, this, is this the way a society should run and, and deal with its children? 16 years old, you're still a child. Yeah, I definitely agree. And I ask myself that question plenty of times. The only real clarity or answer that I was able to get out of that is that there is a, 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 a callousness when dealing with these, not departments, but it's like we, we, we fall into these departments. Um, there's a callousness. There's a lack of heart in these, in, in these occupations where it's really needed. I currently work with the homeless, but foster, the foster care system, they they allow people, um, well, back then, I guess it was a bit harder to, to, to go off of much, not with the databases that we have now, but there was no real screening back then. And there, there are just certain people, certain families, certain environments that existed in that system that no child, no child should ever have to have to fall into. You say this was a case, you know, of, of uh, maybe 20 years ago, but I would say the callousness that you are describing, that I'm hearing, 
is not one that has stopped in this country. Do you you are you are a father now? I, I, I met Juliana just briefly as you were walking home before we started recording. She seems lovely. You seem like a devoted father. You are clearly a, a different person now or have, have, what, what has happened between then and now that has created the Jason we're now talking to? Oof. I think the biggest the biggest problem for those of us that wanted to they wanted to be realized as victims at that time that we we weren't responsible for it but it did, doesn't mean that we didn't we weren't we're not to learn from it every experience that i've gone through negative or positive i have to be thankful for because it helped me and that's what helped me through my time i arrived at the idea because i went from a somewhat innocent child who was tossed about about by the world but then i'm also fighting for my own autonomy so i have to realize what role what part am i playing in my own life now, as a kid, of course, we, we have to understand there, there is no control that you have. But as an adult, when you're making adult decisions and you're out there doing adult things, there has to be consequences, not necessarily the ones that transpire. How could it be different? So for me, my goal was always take that time at the end of the night before I finally doze off to go to sleep go through my day, how did I go through it, what could have changed, what could have been better, and what can I just completely eliminate? And I think that's what got me through, that's what made me stronger, and yes, there was a change, there, there, there was a change, there's no metamorphosis that happened with me or nothing like that, because believe me, there were times I was scared, scared straight of the person that I was turning into, and Again, it goes back to that callousness. If you let that callousness, that, that, that hardening of the heart, if you've heard that term before, if you let that take over, it's so much easier to make people victims. It's so much easier to not care that people are hurting due to what you're doing, the choices that you're making that are affecting people. So that's what I got out of it. And, and the, change, the, change, the change came through reflecting and trying to grow from reflecting. It wasn't trying to dwell because for years I blamed my dad for me getting locked up that first time. And it wasn't until, what was it? Four and a half years later that I realized that I still played a role in that. Yes, I was naive. Yes, I was ignorant. I didn't know everything, even though I thought I did, but I still played a role. I still lied to try to make myself, you know, I realized the role that I played in that. And I can't just, put everything on everyone else. You're you're now a father of uh, two boys. Uh, how old are they? Uh, one boy, two girls. One boy, two one girls. One boy, two girls, uh, okay. Xavier. Xavier just now turned 13. Uh, Victoria, who is uh, my wife's oldest, she is going to be 15. She's going to be 15 in January. And Juliana... 
my youngest is uh, going to be six this month. Are they going to have the same experiences you had? I know the answer, but. Not when it comes to family. Not when it comes to family. What does that mean? Oh, I'm still learning that one. What I mean to say by that is that I know what it was to be lacking of love in a family. And I've dedicated my emotional, <laughs> my emotional heart fully to those that I've married into, created, and, and now sustained. Like I, I want to see them happy. The difficult part with maintaining the family is the mentality that that you're still surviving for yourself. I've done. I've, I've been surviving so long by myself that I, I'm not too good with team activities. And a family's a team. And I, I, I constantly run into brick walls because I got my way of handling something, and she's got hers. Now the kids got theirs, and they think they know what theirs is. So it's a it's a constant battle, constant battle every freaking day. Every day is a battle. But oh man, you get these moments where it's it's worth every fight. It's worth every fight to to have them feel secure that you're there, that you're not going nowhere, that you that you're listening to them, that they exist to somebody else. That right there is what counts. Man, you've 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 put your you put your finger right on it that you're listening to them and knowing that someone knows they're there. That's I, right. I love that. I love that. You know, another um team that you have joined is um is one called uh theater. And I think this is okay. where we can bring we can bring Rich into this. Rich, how, how did uh, how did you first meet Jason? I met Jason at Otisville and um he uh in my first he was in the very, very first class that I taught. And he immediately, you know, you know, of course he was a great actor, but he immediately like sort of stepped up and said, uh, do you need any help? And of course he needed help. And so Jason was really my point man uh, uh, when we did the workshop. He was like my stage manager, my assistant. And, um, and, and you know, he was talking before about, I just wanted to tell you this one thing, I'll bust you, Jason. This uh, one story, he was saying how he was the class clown. There was one time when we were doing a show at the prison and uh, there was a snowstorm. And everybody thought I would not make it because it was a really bad snowstorm. But of course, I'm one of those people that was, you know, come hell or high water, I'm going to make it. So I get there. It took me two and a half hours to, to make a trip that normally took a half an hour. I arrived. So like two hours late, I get there and I think like, oh, my God, these guys are going to be over the moon that I actually made it. You know what I mean? So I pull up in the van. I get out. Jason is standing out in front with his clipboard. He looks up at me and he just says, you're late. <laughs> and I, and so like this, you know, and then of course we both burst out laughing. But like, but it was really it was it. But that was the kind of thing. I mean, we just hit it off immediately. And then when he got out, I remember sitting in that coffee shop in Union Square right when you got out, and we had our first meeting. And it was like, uh, and then he says, "Well, what are we going to do?" And I was working for Random House then, and I needed an assistant, so I hired him on. And he was terrific. And then we did some readings at BAM, and we, you know. And then acting out came along. And of course, you know, he was my first call. You know, I says, I need you. I need you. <laughs> and, and he's really come through. So, I mean, so that's kind of our journey. And we, we continue to go forward, you know. I continue to 
think what a kaveling experience it might be. Kavel, it's a Yiddish word for oh, I know enormous Kavel. joy right. to to find someone that you knew in in Otisville and and then have him sit there in the coffee shop with you. In oh such yeah, a that different, was. Do you that remember that best. moment? I still have the picture. Wow, I still <laughs> have that picture, and uh, it was nothing like it. Nothing like it. Just enjoying what was it? A simple apple pie. Yeah, just oh, it was, it was, and that's what that's what stuck out with Rich with me. me. It's just so amazing to be in the one environment that we were in, and then to be outside. You know, it's like where you all sort of sit there, like like I don't know what to do. You know what I mean? Because yeah, like, we're <laughs> yeah. we're used to being so like regimented and watched, and you know, got to be careful. You know, like and we were, you know, he was, you know, everybody was free. You know, and it was it was a wonderful feeling. I think we all need to kind of uh, try to imagine that feeling of the ordinariness of life as being the most special, the most amazing things we have are that cup of coffee and apple pie with a friend oh, in a coffee yeah. shop. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. I, I think that's what this pandemic that we're going through is teaching us. Like is, we, is, we long, we yeah. long for the simple little things that we love to do. Yep. You know, that we yeah. Having a beer at a bar with a buddy. Yeah. Yep. 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 Um, I wanted to also talk to you, Jason, about uh, your desire to be a writer. Well, he is a writer. You are a writer, but you said you're struggling with <laughs> with writing characterizations. Yes, I, I, my, my writing evolved from reading. Absolutely, no doubt about it. I enjoyed reading. That was that was uh, another, especially as a young kid, not being outside. That was definitely my escape. Fantasy, mystery, was the beginning. Later on, junior high school, I started getting into mythology. High school, I picked up philosophy and poetry. I just, I just loved words. And the writing didn't develop until prison. This is why I say I'm so thankful for... for there's, a prayer, there's a prayer that I say all the time. And it's because it, 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 it's, it's my prayer. It's, it's, it's mine. And I thank God every day. I thank him for everything that he's taken from me, whether it's the people that I've lost in my life, people that I had never got to meet in my life, whether it was habits, whether it was, thank you for taking it away from me and whatever you gave me, thank you. Thank you. Lately it's been hard because I've, I've lost the meaning to that model. So... I've been bat battling with that. That's uh, that's uh, <laughs> my spiritual life, but yeah. that's another segment. Yeah. yeah, Let's hear another piece. Do you have another monologue you can share with us, Jason? Uh, sure. From our new show. Is that all right, Mitch? This monologue that he's going to just do a little teeny bit for you is from our next show, which is opening on December 5th. The show is called Inside Out. This is actually a show that we did on the inside. Jason and I did it together at Otisville. It's some of the material from this show. And one of the, uh, and then some new material, but, but um, this particular piece that Jason is doing is a piece that he wrote called The Letter. It was a showstopper when we did it last time. And, um, and I'm sure it will be again. So anyway, this is just a short piece called The Letter. He's just gonna do the opening for you. Well, let me get down to business. You've been on my mind since, well, uh, since you took off again. I think about how stupid I am to have fucked up such a good thing. 
can't think about your choice for being someone else. I think about what a sucker I am that falling for you so bad that even now I think about the what ifs. I think about how perfect your lips and kisses were. Think about caressing your face one more time. Every time you decide to pop in and check up on me, I think about a lot of things. I don't like feeling like that. As a matter of fact, I hate feeling like that. That was an excerpt from the letter. Great. That's Great. Uh, that's all we're giving you if you want to come here. <laughs> you gotta come. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I do. This has been absolutely a thrilling, uh, thrilling half hour, 45, 50 minutes that, that, that we've had. And, and I, you know what's nice nice for me is because I rehearse with these guys. I have them all together at the same time on, yeah. on a Zoom thing, and it's crazy. And it's nice to be able to spend this time individually with each person and really, you know, everybody doesn't get that kind of one-on-one time. And so it's nice. You know what? It just occurred to me, something that I don't um, do and I probably should do. Is there a question you'd like to ask, Jason? Yes. Actually, I did have a question uh, for you. I wanted to know what, what drives you in 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 this podcast, what is your goal? What is, um, what are you, what is your aim? These men are found something while they were inside, you know, doing time, they found something that was really important to them and that helped them get through it. And so much so that they want to continue doing it on the outside, which is very, very unusual. And we've got a company right now, a solid company of 12 actors who are completely committed, you know, to this company. And we've got our second production coming up and I just recently got an idea for the next one. So we're, we're, we're on our way. You know what I mean? And uh, so that's, yeah, we want people to know about that as well. All beautiful. All beautiful, all positive. And um, if you're listening to this podcast, anyone out there, write uh, us at Prison Monologues, either Alan Winston or Rich Holer uh, at prisonmonologues at uh, gmail.com. And we'll put you on the the mailing list and let you know when um, this performance will will be happening. And it will be happening over Zoom, so... We'll be able yes. to we'll be able to access it. Jason Scott Sabata, thank you so much for talking with us. I, I, I know there's more to this story, um, but we certainly got a lot. Thank you for sharing your thoughts. Thank you you're, you're, for having you're, you're very, very much. You're a very giving person. You're very I appreciate giving, that. Thank open you. person, and I appreciate it. And I'm sure your family appreciates it too. Thank you. Thank you very much. Thank you.
I used to be an actor and that getting into other the, the other head and seeing mm-hmm. other people live, I find that uh, for me, it uh, enlivens my life. Not that I don't have a lively life, but um, <laughs> by listening, I, I get you too. I get a little bit of this other person who I don't know. And it's a very interesting thing in the podcast environment, people are willing to share. Um, and so I've, I've been very, I find I'm very grateful that um, people like you who have a story um, and have something important to say to others, that I could be a conduit for that and that I could partake in it by taking it in, by eating you up, so to speak, you know, being, <laughs> being nourished by who you, you are. So there, there's, there's one answer. <laughs> Thank you for that. Thank you.